Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? A podcast where I usually like to review and recap every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air date, which um, brings me to why we've been on such a huge hiatus. So I wanted to just check in with you guys real quick. We don't have another Buffy episode to review until April 28th. So still three and a half weeks from now. Um, So I just wanted to check in really quick, let you guys know that I'm not like, I haven't dropped off the face of the earth or anything like that. It's just for whatever reason, there was no Buffy episode between um, March 3rd and April 28th in 1998. So that's why there's no episodes of the podcast. Um, I briefly flirted with, you know, just like having some more personal podcasts just in the hiatus, but um, I really do like to keep this podcast, with the exception of like, you know, the first 20 episodes or so of this podcast, or maybe even more, it was very personal, Um, but I found that I didn't really like that. Um, I just don't really like archiving my personal thoughts forever and ever. If you like any of that kind of stuff, if you miss hearing my voice on the podcast, I do have a radio show. It is something that you have to tune into when it's on, but every Friday I have a radio show. You can tune into it from seven to 10 central standard time every Friday. And, um, there are two links for some reason I'm not on tune in anymore. Um, I am, I think my podcast is still on TuneIn, but my radio show is no longer on TuneIn. They're kind of difficult to deal with for some reason. So I don't know if I'll be able to get back on TuneIn. It's always a struggle. Um, I will try, but um, no promises. So basically, if you want to listen to my radio show every Friday from 7 to 10 Central Standard Time, you can do so on either MixtressRay.com, which is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E, or, um, and there's like a little player on the right and you can just press play during broadcast times. Um, or you can go to myradiostream.com slash radio. So either of those links, um, very reliably work and you can access them on mobile devices as well. So, I mean, that's good enough, really. I don't need tune in. So with that promotional shit out of the way, um, I just figured, you know, like I said, I would check in. So maybe this will be, this will probably just be like a free ramble kind of situation. Um, And it might get a little personal um, because we have no Buffy to talk about right now. And um, this is because of the nature of this project, as I've mentioned several times to you guys before, if you listen to my podcast regularly, there are going to be a lot of these little gaps, you know, like it's a TV show. They took summers off. You know, sometimes there were weird gaps like this. Sometimes things aired out of order. I think that only happens once during the show because there was a right after the Columbine shooting in 1999. I think it was 99. Um, there was, there was an episode that was going to air like that same week that was about a school shooting. 
So that particular episode got postponed to a month or two later. So that one we're going to have to watch out of order, but we'll we'll worry about that when we get there. But for the most part, Buffy was a pretty consistent show. And um, so normally we will only just have to take weird little breaks here and there for holidays and summer. But right now, I mean, I don't know what their deal was, why they went from March 3rd to April 28th without an episode. That's, it seems kind of weird. Um, but that's okay. So I have been a little listless not having my Buffy, my Buffy podcast outlet, which is truly like, I have several creative things that I do. Like, like I said, I have the radio show. I have this podcast. I also have a YouTube channel, um, that I put up videos every other Wednesday is, um, how I've decided to do it this year. And so forth. that's working. Um, it's this Buffy podcast is definitely my most favorite thing that I do. Um, I'm thinking about putting together a Patreon. Um, I don't have like lofty goals of making a lot of money with my creative projects because they're pretty low key. Like, (laughs) um, I know that I don't have like a very marketable thing. Like my creativity is not a very marketable thing and it never has been and that's okay. Um, but just gauging interest, if any of you guys would be interested, basically what I probably would do, I've already started the account, but I haven't, you know, finalized it and made it public yet. Basically it would probably be, basically, probably, maybe, (laughs) possibly, maybe be, um, a situation where if pretty much anybody that donated, whether you donated a dollar a month or $5 a month or whatever, um, would get access to extra podcasts where I would probably, um, review movies is what I'm thinking. Um, because right now in order to keep myself occupied during this Buffy hiatus, I have been watching a lot of movies and I'm trying to decide, I'm doing like a big project where I'm trying to decide my personal favorite movie from every year that I've been alive. So, um, as I'm doing that, I'm just casting a wide net and watching, rewatching a bunch of movies that I know I've liked in the past. Um, so I could do little reviews of movies and that could be something that you would only have access to if you were one of my patrons. Um, and it's, it's an easy way to like, especially at like the dollar a month level, like I would just be overjoyed if like 10 people gave me a dollar a month, like, Um, obviously that wouldn't pay any bills, but it would just make me really happy to know that in some way I was being reimbursed for my creativity. So anyway, that's something that's just, I'm kicking it around. I probably won't make that public for a little while yet. Um, but yeah, that's just something I'm thinking about just as an update to you guys. Ooh, I could, um actually promote. I already know what I'm doing for this week's radio show. So if you guys, um, I'm probably uploading this on Tuesday. So you'll have a few days before it'll be Friday, the 6th of April. So, um, if you hear this in time and you're interested, um, my radio show this week is going to be mostly about Radiohead. Um, basically, um, the way that it's going to work out because of time it's going to be almost everything on the show on Friday is going to be Radiohead or Janet Jackson. So I'm, I don't care that those two things don't go together, but, um, so basically 
normally how I structure the radio show is I will have, you know, like I get really personal on the radio show, like just so you know, because it's something that's ephemeral, like it disappears, like you have to listen to it when it's on. And unless you're doing something super special, it's not recorded for all time. Um, I mean, if I ever get to the level of popularity where people regularly do that, I will be forced to stop being so personal on my radio show because the only reason why I do that is because it disappears. It's just like, if you're not tuned in right then, you don't hear it. And I really like that about it. I like the fact that I feel like I can say anything and I'm just talking to my friends and then it's gone. It's probably the same reason why people like, like a lot of YouTubers are really attracted to Twitch. Like, obviously, like, if you're a popular YouTuber, people are documenting that shit. So it's really not as ephemeral as, you know, just disappearing when it's gone. But anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yes. Okay. So me and my good friend Evan, we have this, we just decided to start doing it this year. We have a music book club wherein we, we have, um, we choose every month an artist that, um, has a discography that's not like overwhelming, not, you know, basically our limit is like nine, 10 albums at the most, because the goal is in the month that we have picked that particular artist, we listen to their entire discography within that month. And then we um, meet to record a segment for my radio show where we feature that artist and talk about our experiences with listening to that artist throughout the whole month. And um, so we just recorded my Michael joined us um, this month because Radiohead's one of his favorite artists. And um, we just met yesterday at the library in a study room and we recorded a lot of content. It was about an hour, um, two different segments that were about 30 minutes each. One was 35 and one was 25. So it's, it's long. It's, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of talking about Radiohead. And um, so we decided to we each picked our top 10 Radiohead songs and anywhere any of us overlapped, um, we put it in a playlist and we ordered it in chronological order. And um, so that's the playlist that's going to be played on the radio show. So if you're at all into Radiohead, that would be a good night to listen this Friday if you want to tune in. Um, and I always feature an album of the night. So I am going to feature Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. I just kind of, I don't know what made me want to listen to it this week, but I just, it was like, it was like I was rediscovering it. Janet Jackson was one of my very favorite artists growing up, like, um, as far as like celebrity obsessions in my life, I've really only had maybe three like real life, like diving into it obsessions. My very first one was Michael Jackson. <laughs> and that started in probably about third grade. And then I moved on pretty quickly to Janet Jackson somewhere around fifth or sixth grade. And hmm, if even that, maybe more like fourth. So I was only obsessed with Michael Jackson for like a year or two. And then I moved on to the far superior Janet Jackson, the far superior Jackson, Janet. And, um, I really, really just was obsessed with her. I loved her so much and I still do. Um, 
for for a long time until I moved on to Tori Amos. That was my third and final big celebrity obsession. I don't like, I mean, there are a lot of people that I super love, but the kind of obsession that you can only have when you're just in your formative years, you know, I had that for, um, well, I guess I sort of had it for Marilyn Manson for a while, but, um, anyway, <laughs> and then Jean and Gina Davis, like if I were to pick top five celebrities that I super was obsessed with at some point or another, it would be Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Tori Amos, Gina Davis, and Marilyn Manson. Yeah, definitely top five right there. Um, and of those five, I still have appreciation for all of them. Um, but probably the one that I have the most sustained respect for. Hmm. I don't know. I didn't know I was going to talk about this and you guys probably don't care. I, I love Gina Davis a lot though. Still, um, she was the first actress that I just sort of dove into and said, I have to watch everything with this person in it, every single thing. And probably the only person I've actually, I've done that. I've tried to walk down that path many times where I'm just like, oh my God, I love this person. I want to watch every movie they've ever been in. And then I watch a whole bunch of them, but then I peter out. But with Gina Davis, I followed through, like my obsession lasted. Gina Davis is single-handedly responsible for um, the beginning of me being a goth kid, <laughs> um, which I am always proud to state that because, you know, people think that like Marilyn Manson was the reason that anybody was goth in the late nineties, but, um, not so with me, like typical origins of gothness would be Marilyn Manson, Robert Smith, um, even Shirley Manson, who was also a big influence for me. Like, um, it was probably pretty equally Gina Davis and Shirley Manson for me <laughs> because I saw Long Kissed Goodnight when she had that smoky eye and that bleached hair and I was just like, that's when I started smoky eyes, Gina Davis and Long Kissed Goodnight. That's my origin right there. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. So now that I've talked about Gina Davis, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, so I just sort of rediscovered Rhythm Nation and it really it had a bit of big effect on me the other day I was listening to it and just that whole album is really quite spectacular. Um, it's a pretty long album though. So when I play it on the radio show on Friday, it is going to be, I'm going to kind of just go through the album chronologically and pick a handful of songs that I really like. I'm not playing the whole thing. But um, one of the big things that strikes me about that album, it came out in 1989. And one of the big things, and I'll probably say all this on Friday again, so uh, bear with me if you listen to both this and that, um, is the, the inter, the, there's like a pledge in the beginning, and then there's like a coda at the end, two spoken word pieces. And I just want to say them right here, right now, just to give you a sort of a teaser of if you haven't listened to Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation in a long time, or if you never have, um, tuning in on Friday will, will be special because you'll get to hear this from Janet's lips. Not that you couldn't just look, log into Spotify right now and listen to it, but you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I also created a YouTube playlist of, um, just all the actual videos that she put out for this album, just in one playlist. So if you want to check that out, my YouTube is under Mixtress Ray. 
So the album begins with a pledge, and it is this. We are a nation with no geographic boundaries, bound together through our beliefs. We are like-minded individuals, sharing a common vision, pushing toward a world rid of color lines. And that's just, and then the album starts, and it's Rhythm Nation, and it's, and it's very political, um, but it's about dancing, and I, and you can kind of see how Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation is probably a pretty huge influence on Janelle Monet and her, the way that she conceptualizes her, her albums are all sort of part of the same fictionalized story of creating an allegory between a relationship between race and um, android. So she speaks of herself and all other black people under the guise of um, being androids. So she talks about race through that allegory and um, I feel like that Janelle Monet's whole very high-minded, really smart concept could not have existed without Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. I really believe that. And if you go back and watch the videos, especially, like, ah, bitch can dance, man. You might have forgotten, but Janet Jackson can dance, okay? Anyway, this is my favorite era of Janet Jackson, too. Like, um, it was when she... I don't just like her entire aesthetic throughout the albums and the artwork or it's throughout the videos and the artwork from the album of Rhythm Nation. She's just very, just so stylish. Like her hair isn't completely white girl hair and it's not completely black girl hair. Like she was skirting a line in between probably to be a little bit more accessible to white people, but it was just her best hair. I think like, well, I don't know. Janet Jackson's pretty much always had gray hair, but, um, it's, she just has that like sort of forties quaff situation going on where it's like really big and wavy and she's wearing those like military style, like button up collars and stuff. And she just looks so, she just looks so stylish. Like this album holds up anyway. I need to save all of this so that I can talk about it on my radio show because you guys didn't tune in for that. You guys did not download this podcast so that you could listen to me talk about Janet Jackson. But, I mean, if that is at all of interest to you, hearing me talk about Janet Jackson and hear me and um, some other people, <laughs> my Michael and my friend Evan, talk about Radiohead, that is pretty much going to be the extent of um, the radio show on Friday. So again, if you would like to tune in, that's 7 to 10 on Friday, and you can access it via my website, mixtressray.com. So, um, okay, so I've promoted my radio show. What else can I talk to you guys about? Um, I guess I don't really do what's up with mixtress segments very often anymore on this podcast. Um, so I probably haven't even... Since the beginning of the year, I probably haven't really even talked about what's going on with me personally. Um, I'm not sure even what I could say. My life is pretty vanilla, honestly. Um, I basically, I hang out in my house, I go to work, 
I have my little weekly rituals. I do the radio show. I do the podcast. I do my YouTube channel. Um, and as I probably mentioned at the beginning of the year, I have started wearing corsets a lot, basically to help with my anxiety at work. Um, and that's still working out really well. Um, lately I've been sort of struggling with just, you know, to go to a psychological place, which why not? Podcasts are good for that. I've been really struggling with feeling like I'm not contributing anything to the world. You know, um, I used to back in school, mostly be, you know, consider myself an artist. You know, I, I used to draw, I used to, you know, I have this set of super expensive, awesome colored pencils and I still have them. Um, my mom bought them for me in high school and I still have them. Um, I don't know what that has to do with anything except that I just, you know, I, I don't use them. I have a lot of art supplies and I don't use them. And I, I also just sort of feel like I don't really go out anymore. I don't really do anything. Um, and I feel like I have really become susceptible to um, what I feel like society wants from me, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like I'm very susceptible to advertisements of like new phones that are coming out and just like things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I feel like I'm very susceptible to things that don't matter. And it makes me feel like a mindless automaton, you know, <laughs> I feel like I am a spectacularly weird person and I've always taken a lot of pride in that. And I've always taken a lot of pride in my, my sense of self is really wrapped up in me always feeling like I'm a person that can think for myself, that I don't just have a reaction that's programmed within me, which the way that our society is structured, it's almost like every single reaction to anything is, there's a right way to react to everything. It seems like in our society, um, and everything is very wrapped up in what you should be doing. Like almost all cognitive behavioral therapy is based around breaking down every time a person says, well, I should be doing this and I should be doing this. And that's like the biggest thing that I ever, I've only had ever had one therapist, which I kind of broke up with because it just wasn't really the right kind of therapy for me um, or the right person. It was cognitive behavioral, which is the right kind of therapy for most people, but, um, just not the right therapist for me actually. So <laughs> I have not gone to a new one since I broke up with him, but that is the biggest thing that I did learn from it. I got a lot from it. It's just, you know, you, I got to a point where I couldn't get any more from that particular person, but a lot of it was that was like, every time I said the word should, he was like, what do you mean should? Like, why? <laughs> and that is 
a very big part of cognitive behavioral therapy is breaking that down. And I used to be a person that didn't see it, you know, when I was growing up, like I did not see all of the things that I was supposed to be seeing and all of the ways that I was supposed to be reacting. I just reacted in my own goddamn way and it really worked for me. And at some point in my life, I started paying attention to how I should be feeling and that has only brought despair. So I've been kind of depressed about that lately, about thinking about, you know, how much I have become a cog in the system, how I've let the constant pervasive reality of how I should be reacting, you know, I've let it infect me and it's not good. It doesn't work. Like life can be whatever you want it to be. And there's a lot of shit that you really do have to just as an adult, there's a lot of shit in our society, the way that it's structured that you can't avoid, you know, like I have to pay my taxes, which I still haven't done. It's we've got like two weeks left until tax day. And I still haven't done my taxes. You know, like I still have to do my taxes. I still have to pay my mortgage. I still have to follow all these laws that are based in, that are based in nothing except our entire, I mean, like just to get real conspiracy theory here, but like our society is really structured around keeping the rich, super rich and keeping the rest of us, you know, struggling for air. Like right now I have barely any food in my house and there's no money. Like we don't have any money <laughs> until tomorrow when, um, when Michael will get paid. And, you know, that's just a reality. And it's something that like, doesn't usually get me that down. Like I'm used to it. You know, I'm used to like being like, okay, I got $10 in my wallet. Okay. I can work with that. Like I'm used to that thought process. Um, but every once in a while I think about it and I go, you know what? That's not normal. It's not normal to struggle that much. It's not normal to like be griping at your significant other because they last ate the last piece of bread, you know? <laughs> and anyway, I'm not going to do that whole financial thing because it just depresses me and I feel very helpless. Um, although today is a, today is Tuesday, April 3rd, and it's a day in which I get to participate in a local election for city council where I live. So I'm going to do that. And, um, that is one thing that I actually can control. Um, but anyway, I sometimes like to, I'm, I'm at a point now where I was pretty depressed about this shit, like a week ago, depressed about the whole, like, I feel like I've really become a victim of the shoulds and all of the things that I feel like I should. Yeah. Just that whole thing. I've become a victim of the thoughts of others and the thoughts of others that are largely programmed. You know, I mean, they really are 
Because the more we fight amongst ourselves, the less we are looking to the people that are holding us down. Um, and they are, they're doing it on purpose so that they can become, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I just, I don't even understand. Like if I had like a good hundred dollars more per week, I would feel like the richest person in the world. You know, I wouldn't need anything else. I would be fine. Um, and I'm pretty broke. So like, I just can't imagine somebody that makes, you know, thousands of dollars a day or even like that doesn't even sound real to me but like billionaires make way more than a thousand dollars a day you know um but anyway I'm at a point where I'm starting to redirect it and this is how my sort of cycle of depression works in general like I get really bogged down by something a thought process or whatever and then I start to pull myself out of it and am able to redirect so and the way that I can do that is with details, with little things. Like for example, yesterday. So I met, um, Michael and I met Evan at the library to record that segment for the radio show about Radiohead. And I brought like this fancy blue microphone that hooks up to your computer. So I had to bring my computer and I had to hook up this fancy USB microphone and it was supposed to be really great for recording for podcasts, um, whatever. Like Michael's had it a really long time and he hardly, neither of us really use it ever, but um, it's a, you know, an expensive piece of equipment. And at the last minute I thought, okay, well, I'm not used to using this thing. What if it doesn't work properly? I'll just go ahead and I'll press record on my phone's voice memo as well. Just, just in case, just in case something doesn't work. And I get home and it didn't work. Like the, the microphone, it recorded, but I, it, it was probably user error, but I somehow lost the second segment that we recorded. The audio just disappeared and it was gone and that was it. <laughs> um, and so I was comparing, so I was just like really happy because I had that backup of just pressing record on my phone's voice memo, just the thing that I had. And I started thinking about, and I started the, the part one that we did, I had available through both the blue microphone and the, um, and my phone. And I was comparing the audio of both of them and like the one from the fancy microphone did sound a little bit better, but part of that was because with my phone, I just sort of pressed record and plopped it on the table because it was just a backup. I didn't place it in, you know, I didn't, I wasn't too concerned with putting it in the right spot and all that stuff. I just pressed record and whatever. But with the microphone, um, you know, it did sound a little bit better, but it wasn't that noticeable of a difference. And I've noticed that a lot, like right now I'm using my Tascam recorder, which is a fancy recording device as well. And I do really like it a lot and it does produce better recordings for my podcast and for my radio show than um, my phone does. But in the end, like a lot of times I just like won't have this recorder with me and so I'll use my phone. And every time I do that, it sounds perfectly fine. And so that's just something that I like. I mean, this doesn't probably doesn't seem like it has any relationship to what I just said about like, you know, society holding you down and all that shit. 
But I like to think about that, that like, like, for example, you sitting where you are right now, you might be thinking you want to start a YouTube channel. You want to start a podcast. You want to start a radio show. You want to start um, doing art. You want to start something. And you may think that you don't have the supplies and you don't have the resources and you don't have the money to get the things that you need. You may think that you need some fancy light to do a radio or to do a YouTube channel. You may think that you need some fancy camera, but, um, there's that old like quote about photography that the best camera is the one that you have. And that's so true. Like seriously, we all like most people have a smartphone and at this point in 2018 almost every buddy that has a smartphone has a pretty decent one like you already have a camera a voice recorder a video camera uh you know you have all of this shit in your pocket all the time and it works like my youtube channel if you ever check it out I mean, it's not super great quality. Like it really isn't, but I use my phone, the camera on my phone. And I also use a camcorder that I got, um, with, with graduation money when I graduated high school in 2001. So I use that sometimes and it's really fun. Um, you really don't need all of these fancy things. Like this is okay. Here's a personal story that has been coming up, um, lately for me. Sorry, this is just getting to be a weird ramble session, but I did warn you that that's what it was. So <laughs> when I don't have Buffy to talk about, I just talk about myself. Um, yeah. Anyway, so a personal story that has been coming up lately, um, for me back when I was in college, my major at first, my major was studio art. And it's always been like, I always took art classes in high school. I took as many art classes as I could. My mom did like a special letter writing campaign so that I could take even more art classes than was normally allowed. Um, because she was very worried that I would drop out of school if I didn't have art to go to my last year of high school. And she was right. I mean, she really saved me. It is possible. I was in a, my, probably my first like major depressive episode, my senior year of high school. Um, I don't think, I mean, I didn't know that at the time, but looking back on it, I was, I was really down and I felt really alone and it was, it was a really, really hard year. And if my mom hadn't written that letter and gotten me into those art classes, my last year of high school, I wouldn't have made it. I really don't think so. Um, not like in life. I just would have probably dropped out of school and I would have been stuck in a depression for a few years, probably before I got a job. Like it really saved my life being able to have those art classes. So it was something just, I say that as a background to art was sort of a savior to me. Like I thought of it that way. And so that was the main reason why I took studio art. That was my major in college. And I was trucking along with that. I was doing well with it. I was enjoying it. I was really kind of finding my, I guess you don't say voice when you're talking about art, I, but I was finding my, 
aesthetic. That's what it is. I was finding it and it was, it was fun. I was enjoying it. And then there was, and I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. So I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that the story that I'm about to tell you is really like, bitch, suck it up, like grow up. Like, why did you let this ruin art for you? But there were two different circumstances basically that ruined art for me. And they're both things that I need to just like get over. I know that. I know that. So with that said, just so you know that I know. So what made me stop being an art major was, and it's not like this was the only thing, but this was the last straw. I went to, um, so it was like the beginning of a semester. I had this one art teacher that I never had before. And it was for a painting class. And he said something that I will never forget. So they always give you like, you know, in the, what's it called when they give you the, like the class outline and all that shit starts with an S it's not synopsis. Oh my God. I just stopped the podcast for like five minutes trying to Google that and I could not find it. And the word is not in my head, but you know what it is where they give you like the class outline, the list of supplies that you need. Um, if it's like an art class, especially, um, it's not the synopsis. What the fuck is that word? Anyway, college isn't worth the money. Just letting you know. <laughs> anyway, so it was in that and it was the, a list of art supplies and stuff that you would need for the painting class. And it was very specific, very expensive art supplies. And I have a real pet peeve with that kind of shit. Like, it's just like one of those things that I will not let go. Um, it's, it bugs me a lot when art teachers are like that. And I've had a lot of art teachers. So I am like, I have a very specific idea of how art classes should, um, work. They should be, um, they should be like, sorry, I'm really distracted by like, what is that fucking word? If you guys know it, let me know. that sheet that like tells you what the class is going to be like, tells you like when tests are going to be, um, how the grading structure is going to go, you know, what is that fucking word? Anyway. Okay. But my particular, like, I really think art is so subjective that it's, it's very much a weird thing to grade someone on. Um, basically I think as long as you can gauge like each art teacher needs to gauge at the beginning of the class like kind of where everyone is as far as finding their own aesthetic as far as how hard they work at their art um and as long as you're making significant progress in whatever the type of art is that is being taught then you should get a good grade. As long as you're putting in the effort and you're making progress and you're finding your own voice, you're on that path, you should get a good grade in art. Like it's too subjective for there to be bad grades. If somebody is trying, if somebody is really trying and somebody is into it, like even if their art isn't what most people would consider good, that doesn't fucking matter. As long as they're, you know, really working at it, you know, anyway, And another one of my pet peeves is when people, 
when art teachers think that you have to get a specific brand of something. And this guy was like that. And he was very specific about it. He's like, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna look over this art supply list and you're gonna see a lot of stuff that is really expensive. And um, you might think, hey, I can just get this other thing that's cheaper. No, you can't, you have to get what's on the list. And he was just very like, and he had this whole spiel about how art has to be expensive. Like, and um, that if you don't buy the right supplies, then your, you know, your art isn't gonna be good and you can't compromise. And that's totally fine if you personally have found that the more expensive brands, all the ones that he had on the list were probably all of his favorite brands, but they were super expensive. And that's totally fine if like that's his thing. If he likes to spend a lot of money on his art supplies and it makes him feel luxurious and it makes him feel like he's doing it the right way. Like, do you, but don't tell an entire class of students that may not have three sticks to rub together <laughs> I just, what is that metaphor? I don't know. Um, syllabus, syllabus. <laughs> there it is. Google failed me, but it was in my brain somewhere. Woo. Syllabus. Okay. Thank God. I know like a lot of you guys were probably like yelling the word at me and I couldn't hear you, but maybe I did. Maybe I just heard you from the future. I heard you. You submitted that word to me. Thank you. Thank you. So anyway, so there was that. So that was like strike number one for this guy. I was like, okay, I may not be, I may not, I may drop this class because I basically, if you tell me that I have to get a certain brand of something, like I have this thing in me where I rebel. Like if anyone tells me I have to do something a specific way I'm gonna rebel and I'm glad that I have that mentality because I'm not just going to accept what some authority figure tells me it's not just going to be I mean and this kind of relates back to Buffy because Buffy's not like that either it does I mean she very much respects Giles as a person but the fact that he is her watcher does not mean that she just takes whatever he says as gospel and a lesser person, uh, a lesser slayer would, would do that, would just n without question do whatever their watcher says. And um, because of that, they would not be thinking on their feet as often. They would probably die sooner, you know? <laughs> so sorry, that's my way that I bring this whole discussion back to Buffy. But so that was strike number one for this teacher. But the other thing that he really focused on, this was all in the first class, that's the only one I took was um he he had this whole spiel like he had basically two rants one rant was you got to buy the most expensive shit to be in my class and the other rant was um your art is not precious you are a student what you're doing is not precious i will at any point during class i will come up and i will mark on your artwork and that to me was that was definitely the last straw. <laughs> it was the last straw because I was like, okay, so we have to spend more money than we have on supplies for you to come up and get in our shit. 
and mess with it and tell us that we're doing something wrong and mark things out. And like, he just basically wanted to have, it was just a control thing. It felt like for me, like he wanted you and I respect him for like laying this all out there in the very beginning. So I didn't waste any time with this dude because he laid it all out there. Like I am going to dictate everything in this class. Like your, your shit is not cool and you will buy all the expensive stuff and it's going to be my way in this classroom. And, um, so I respect the fact that he laid it out there and I knew from the beginning, this guy's not for me. And I quit the class, but it also just came at this right moment for me or the wrong moment for me or whatever, where I just decided that was it. I just had this other teacher that was a really bad art teacher that turned out he got fired for like child pornography and stuff. He was such a terrible art teacher too. He was just, he was one of those teachers and there are a lot of them out there. I have a lot of specific thoughts on art teachers <laughs> that like they decide from the beginning and I've benefited from this particular mindset of art teachers as well where like basically they decide from the very beginning if they like your art or they don't like your art. And that means that they either like you or don't like you. And either like in, in the instance of benefiting from it, um, either they automatically love everything you do and give you A's and it's great. Or no matter what, no matter how little effort you put in, I had a lot of teachers that I got away with hardly any effort at all because they just loved what I did. And so I always got A's or they just hate you and that's all there is to it. And there's nothing you can do. And that's how this teacher was. I think I got a C in his class. And now that I know that he is into child pornography, I don't at all feel bad about that C. And at the time I really didn't feel bad about it either because at the time I knew that he was grading me based on the fact that he just didn't like me. I was too old, I guess. <laughs> um, but um, I was a full grown adult, so he didn't like me. But um, yeah, at the time I was like, I've never gotten a C in an art class in my life. And I got to the point where like, I knew that he didn't like me. And there was once that I just like, I thought I was doing a big fuck you to him, but it, it really was a stupid thing that didn't, you know, wasn't a fuck you to anybody, but basically like with my roommate one night, we got drunk together. Like we drank like an entire bottle of wine, maybe more. And I had this big project that I had to turn in that I hadn't started on yet because I just hated this teacher and I was procrastinating. And so I was just like, let's do this project together. And like, she helped me and she did a bunch of the work. And I was just like wondering if you know, he would even notice that someone else entirely did a piece of work. And this was at the end of the semester too. And he didn't even notice. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, um, what is my point? I don't, it was just like one of those convergence of moments where I just decided that, and I've, and this is a process that has happened with me many times. Like anytime I try to pick a profession, I try to pick some kind of world or subculture to 
fit within. Like for a while I was apprenticing to be a piercer and the same, the same kind of thing happened. Once I jump into a world and I start to learn the culture within that world, I am disappointed because the cultures of every, like every subculture, every like workplace environment, like every culture, pretty much everywhere, every single little micro culture has the same tropes, the same, and it's just humanity. It's just humanity. It's just people being biased and people being, having this just, this whole like people telling you that you have to do things a certain way. If you're going to be a piercer, you have to check all of these very specific boxes and it has to be that. It has to be that. And I, it took me too long in my life to realize I was just jumping out of things as soon as I realized that I was going to have to check all these boxes. And I, it took me way too long to make the realization that I don't have to check all of your goddamn boxes. Okay. And that's something that all of us can take away from this ramble fest. Maybe. Um, I hope that you can take something away from this ramble fest. Otherwise, this is an hour of your life. You're never going to get back. <laughs> So if you're still listening, thank you so much. You're the best. Um, but that is something we can take from all of this. If there is anything that you are doing right now, if, if at your job or in your school environment or just any, anything that you're trying to pursue right now, there's going to be people around you that are going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. And guess what? If you're not taking choices away from others and you're not hurting other people, you're not doing it wrong. You can make a masterpiece of art with, you know, three primary colors that you bought for, you know, at the thrift store for 50 cents, like used half used acrylic paint. You can do that. You can you know, write a novel on a 75 cent notebook that you buy at, you know, the dollar store or the, or the, uh, gas station. You can record a podcast with the voice memo app that's on your goddamn phone right now. You can record a YouTube channel with, I mean, basically all you really need is a camera and some light. If you've got a video camera on your phone, chances are you do. And if you've got some uh, desk lamps or some shit that you can put behind the camera, which chances are you do, you can make a video. You don't even necessarily need that light part. Like as long as there's natural light, you know, just sit next to a window during the daytime. You got it. Like you do not need to be rich to take care of to be creative these days. It's easier than ever to, I mean, YouTube channels, that's free. Like as long as you have an internet connection and you can upload a video. And even if you don't have an internet connection, if you, um, have a computer, if you can, or a phone, I think you can upload videos from your phone as well. Um, if you can get to a public library and use their internet, you can upload shit to YouTube. You know, um, there are, I mean, the rules in life that we think are rules are really not. 
Um, I'm, I don't really believe a lot of things in life, but I do believe wholeheartedly that everything is perception and everything is, and genuinely, as long as you're not hurting anyone, you're not doing anything wrong. So, and it harm none, do as thou wilt. Like, basically, that's the only thing that I truly wholeheartedly believe in. As long as you're not being an asshole, you're doing it right. You don't need the expensive art supplies. God damn it. <laughs> it's a metaphor for all of life. Um, yeah. Anyway, all the roadblocks that we make for ourselves because of our anxiety, because of our brains, basically our brains are just, they're capable of so much that they will create intricate storylines either to make us feel better or to make us feel worse. And we can always try to redirect that. And if we do it enough times, we can redirect our brains to create reasons to be okay instead of reasons to not be okay. So on that note, I think I will stop babbling. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this bullshit. Thank you so much for projecting the word syllabus to me. I received it through time and space. I got it. <laughs> If you are a little creeped out by how weird my thoughts are, um, please know that my Buffy podcast will still remain the same. Um, if it's ever like a personal thing like this and it's something that you're not into, you can always skip these podcasts. If it if the title of my podcast episode is not the title of a Buffy um, episode, then you'll know that I'm going to get into some weird shit. <laughs> if you're into the weird shit... Tune in every Friday to my radio show, 7 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time on MixtressRay.com. Um, with that said, I don't know. It just depends on what I feel like doing. I may come back for another episode of the podcast, just another check-in like this, if, um, if I feel like it. If not, the next Buffy-related episode, either way, the next Buffy-related episode will be April 28th. So the next episode that we get to review is I Only Have Eyes for You. And that is one of my very favorite episodes. Um, I will have a lot to say. It is such a good episode and it's, there's a lot to talk about. So I'm excited to bring that to you guys soon. So I hope you guys are having a great month. I mean, it's been a month since I put out a podcast, a month ago today. So I hope you guys had a great March and I hope you will continue to have a great April. April. Thanks for listening. Um, and I will see you next time. Bye.